0: I want to tell you a little bit about my story. One of the things I love to do when I'm in front of people is just to encourage them to share their story. That my story and your story matters. That each of us has a story. And God wants to use your story. I'm going to talk a little bit from the book of John this morning in the 10th chapter. But we see when we look through John and through the New Testament and through the Gospels specifically... We see God using people who share their story of the difference that God has made in their lives. And each and every one of us has a story that God wants to use, but it's easy for us sometimes to get distracted and forget how important our story is to tell, and then more important than that to tell his story, the story of God's love for each and every one of us, the difference that he can make in our lives. And so when we engage people out there wherever we're going, family, friends, where we work, wherever we go, God wants you and I to talk about how God has changed my life and God can change your life. You know, I didn't grow up with much of a spiritual foundation. As a matter of fact, I didn't gather with believers very often at all. You would consider me unchurched or maybe even de-churched. My family had some heritage. My mom was from a Methodist background. My dad had a Baptist background, but on Sunday mornings, what we did was listen to Casey Kasem. We ate a lot of pancakes, and we looked forward to the Dallas Cowboys, and my family drank a lot of beer. And that's what Sundays looked like for me growing up. I grew up in Cypress, Texas, and from a very young age, football meant everything to me. In a lot of ways, you could say it was my God. Well, my freshman year, I got injured. I found out I had a, a knee injury that was so bad that I could no longer play football. And what did I say football was for me? A God. It was my everything. And so when it was taken away, it really sent me crumbling. I started doing everything I could to numb the pain of a little boy who had dreamed from four years old until I was 15 that I was going to play at least college, if not professional football. It devastated me. It rocked my world. And I started turning to all kinds of things to numb the pain by the time I was a junior. I started smoking marijuana and I smoked it for a year and a half straight and just trying to numb the pain of my life. But at 20 years old, I came to a place where I finally started admitting that I had a problem. My mom, if she was here, she would say, Guy was someone who if you could buy him for what he was worth and sell him for what he thought he was worth, you could make a ton of money. And that was kind of my mindset. I was pretty arrogant and felt like that I was pretty special in my own eyes in a way that was very selfish. And so I finally came to a place at 20 years old that maybe I'd had a few problems. Maybe I was having some issues in my life. I was driving to community college thinking I should have been playing what? Football, right? And here I am going to a community college. Smoking marijuana every day. I'm the son of a state trooper. I mean, I was taught from a very young age that you didn't do drugs, and here I was doing drugs. So I began to question. I had some relationships with some girls. I had this one particular girl that I dated for a year and a half. She finally got wise and dumped me when she was off to the Bahamas with her family. And then that caused me to say, hmm, maybe there are some things that need to change in me. And my heart was really hurting. I really finally came to a place where I was depressed and was admitting that life was not going the direction I thought it should be going. And I heard this whisper, which I now believe was God's spirit in my mind, saying, the Bible is the word of God. The Bible is the word of God. And I said, you know what, I think I may have one of those somewhere. And I dug in my shelf, and sure enough, I found a New Testament that was given to me on one of the college campuses, on the, it's North Harris Community College campus. And I began to read through it. And I, And as I was reading it, it was as if there was healing oil speaking to my heart, as if I was sensing that I was being healed and I need God's help. And I just started saying, God, help me. God, help me. And I began to read about Christ's love and his forgiveness and the difference that he can make in a life. And I started saying, God, change me. And I remember reading in Corinthians where Paul said, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I talked like a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. And I started asking God to make me into a man, a man after his own heart. And from that day, I've been perfect ever since. (laughs) Right? Well, there was some radical changes that happened immediately. The desire to smoke marijuana was just gone because I was numbing stuff. You know, and not wanting to face stuff. And so God gave me the strength to face stuff, and I realized I don't need that anymore. But there's a lot of things that needed to change, and my wife could tell you some things that still need to change at 48 years old. But God has done a work in my life, and He has begun changing me. And as I said, each of our stories matter. You don't have to be an axe murderer, you don't have to do drugs. We need stories of people who actually from a very young age started following God and can say, listen, I don't have all this baggage, why? Because I started trusting Christ and started following Christ at a young age, right? You know, I, I think we have a tendency to, in Christian community these days, to, to value those who are famous and their stories and value those who are really bad and then turned and been made really good. But I think that it's not that we revere some too much, is that we don't revere one another enough and realize that God wants to use our stories no matter who we are, we have a story. And he is at work, and will we join him at where he is at work? And God has continued to do some amazing things in my life. At that time when I was 20 years old, as I shared with you my upbringing, I was kind of raised a right-wing redneck in Cypress, Texas, and I admit that. But God has done a lot of changing in me in my upbringing. My family was raised to be very prejudiced, but now today I go to Africa, I've adopted an African son, I have tons of relationships with incredible hip-hop artists who go into places and into the hood and share the good news of Jesus Christ using hip-hop that I never would have imagined that God would do in my life. And God is not so much looking for our ability, but really looking for our availability. And whenever I was younger, I thought I had a lot more ability. And now that I've gotten older, I realize that I need a lot more availability in my life of saying, God, use me. I told you about my pride and arrogance. When I first came to Christ, there was no one as cool as me that had come to Jesus. I just thought, hey, man, now that, now that God has someone cool on his side, we're going to do some stuff. Right? And so then I started making disciples and planting churches. And I said, man, finally there's a cool pastor out there. Somebody that can really relate to cool people like me. God's taught me a lot since then. I'm still pretty cool. But he's taught me a lot more about making myself available to him and saying, God, use me. Send me into the fields wherever I go. As I'm going, Lord Jesus, may I make disciples. May I have a passion and a heart for you to say, God, use me. Show me where you are at work. And that's what he wants out of each of us. Each of us has a field that God wants to lead us into, and that's what we're going to talk about from John 10. And our fields are very different. The places that we connect with people are very different, but God wants to use each and every one of us wherever we are. You know, we talk about the Great Commission where Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to what? Obey everything I have commanded. You know, that word there, go, is as you are going. In your everyday life, we need people in their everyday life to share with family and friends who are far from God. Telling their story and telling God's story. But we also need to send people into pockets of people that where there is darkness and into other cultures. But each of us has a role and a responsibility of being available to God in the fields that he wants to send us to. But too often you and I, particularly in this urban and suburban culture of a large city like Houston, we get blinded by the everyday grind. We get blinded by the everyday grind. We forget that there's people we come into contact everywhere we go that Jesus wants us, wants to use us to share my story and his story. When I drive back and forth every day at certain locations, I get blinded. And so I'm blinded that that there are people who are in need of God's love in his life and for me to speak that over them and to them. And so what do I do? I get frustrated. I get angry because they're in my way. They're not going fast enough. They're not turning properly. They're not getting out of the way. Instead of turning into the gas station, you know, to get out of my way, it's like they stop in the middle of the road and then turn. Is that one of your irritations? That's mine. And so I lose sight of blessing people, of seeing that the fields are white to harvest. I don't go places that I probably should go because I get blinded by the daily grind. You remember in John 4 where Jesus goes through Samaria where his people never went and they thought he shouldn't go. And he meets the woman at the well. And what does she do? She encounters him and then she goes and shares her what? Her story. And then it leads to talking about his story. And then there's this entire community that's transformed. And while that's happening, Jesus tells his disciples what? Open your eyes. Don't allow the daily grind to make you blind. The fields are white to harvest. I mean, there are receptive people around us that want to hear the good news, that need to hear the good news about Jesus Christ. And there are some places that we need to go, that we need to send to, into fields that need to hear the good news about Jesus Christ. And so let's look at John 10. And in John 10, there's there's kind of three Three sections here I see in John 10 where Jesus is saying, there is an enemy who wants to steal, a robber, a hireling. He uses these different ways to communicate the same story almost three different times. And he says, I am here to give you life, but there's an enemy that's here to what? Kill, steal, and destroy. To keep us from being out in the fields and seeing a harvest, he wants to rob that from us and our part in the fields that he has called us to and is sending us to. I want to focus on the first six verses and I want to talk about the difference in the fold and the field. And we need to ask ourselves, am I willing to make myself available to be used in the field of wherever I go? Am I sharing my story? Am I praying for those around me? that are far from God, maybe you're like many people that don't have a relationship with people who are far from God. Then the question is, what do we need to do? You say, "I I don't know anybody who's far from God. Well, then we need to say, well, what's it gonna take for you to develop some relationships? You can start praying for people who are far from God. You can do that, can't you? Isn't that an important thing to do? Yes. But then the question is, where are those around me that are far from God? Believe me, they're not very far. <laughs> they may be far from God, but they're not very far geographically. There are people all around us who need to hear about his love. And so Jesus starts out, John 10, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheep fold or the sheep pen by the door, but climbs up in some other way the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep do what? They follow him because they do what? They know his voice. Yet they will be by no means a follow a stranger. They will not follow a stranger, but will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. So he goes on to tell the same story in two or three different ways. I know some people, we like to get on to the disciples and say, why are they so dumb? Why are they so slow? But I recognize that I'm slow in my own life. And there are things that I need God to tell me over and over again. And sometimes I tend to make things way too complicated rather than getting to the simple, reproducible truth of God's love and his word and his ways. And so he tells them that there is this sheepfold, right? And notice that there's a robber who wants to climb into the sheepfold and steal sheep. And even today in the Jordan area and in, along in the Middle East, you see sheepfolds. And I see them when I go to Ethiopia, where there are these Four walls that they've built. In some places, they build them out of stone where there's a lot of stone. And it's four walls that they build around out of stone. In Ethiopia, they tend to use um, acacia wood, which is like our mesquite tree because it is super thorny. So they, they build the walls out of, out of brush. And so they herd the sheep in there for certain times that are important. There, there's a sheep fold, a sheep pen that they bring them into to count Sometimes it's to count. Sometimes it's to shear them. Sometimes it's for protection. When there are fields that the shepherd takes them way out to, they will even make a fold out of a cave and build a rock wall or some form of wall. And often the shepherd would even lay in front of the gateway into. And that's why Jesus is saying, I am the way. You know, I am the gate. And we have to enter in through him. The, the point I want to make is that there is a fold. Four walls, just like this building, four walls. Or let's say we're meeting in a home. There's four walls in these homes. And God, it's okay. There's nothing wrong with the fold and the four walls. But notice he says, I want to lead them out into the what? The fields, right? And remember how we talked about making ourselves available to go into the fields where God wants to send us. And often it's as we're going, but we're blinded by the everyday grind to the reality that there's a field that God has placed us in, right where we are. But there are also fields we need to go to and send people to, you see? But what happens when we stick to the fold only and don't follow Christ into the field? Now, when we're in the fold, when the shepherd would drive the sheep into the fold, they really no longer needed to listen to his voice or even follow him. Notice how he says, I lead them out into the fields and then they hear my voice and I go what? In front of them. If we stay always where it's safe and are unwilling to go out into the fields, we lose our intimacy with the shepherd. We need to get out into the fields. We need to be willing to engage people. And when we do that, I believe that there is a growth that happens in our lives, a intimacy with Christ, that we hear him more clearly. I know that it is a risk to step out, but following Christ is about risk. You know, there is a difference between Christ followers in America and the Christ followers I run into in Ethiopia, and a lot of it has to do with risk. Jesus said teach them to what? Obey, right? Often in America we go to church, but we don't function as the church. Christ said we are to be the church. And that means his body, his life, wherever we go. I have friends in Ethiopia who will walk three days by night down by the border of Somalia risking their lives. In order to share the good news of Jesus Christ. But often we have family and friends who are around us right here every day we run into, and we won't even raise the flag that, hey, I follow Jesus. I'm not saying that to condemn you, but I'm just saying that far too often we are a lot more fans than we are followers in America. Following Jesus does mean taking risks. And if we stay within the four walls only and don't get out there and share wherever we are, wherever we go, we will lose sight of Jesus himself and intimacy with him. When you and I make ourselves available to God, we say, oh, God, use me. God, wherever I go today, may I share your love in your life? Help me be the man, woman, boy, girl you want me to be. When we engage the fields that Christ has called us to, we develop an intimacy with him that changes our very lives. Whenever we're in the fold, there's an unhealthy dependency upon the structures. There's an unhealthy dependency upon the structures. When I talked about where there are way too many fans in our culture rather than followers... I feel like that far too often we focus on programs and providing religious goods and services to Christian consumers rather than making disciples. Jesus called us to make disciples, not to provide the best programs. Now, programs can lead to connections with people, and that's my point here, that it's really about investing our lives in people and not about following structures and programs and those kinds of things. We need to be following Jesus. Can God use those structures? Absolutely. But when we become dependent upon them, we lose who we are as his followers. We actually become part of an organization. And we commit to the organization rather than committing to Christ and his kingdom, which is bigger than any organization. And what can happen is, is when we're a part of an organization that thrives, all of a sudden we become arrogant. Arrogant. And think we have all the answers. And then we're unwilling to be humble and engage and learn from other people. I've seen this overseas so many times where Americans come in and think that they have all the answers. And what they tend to do is create more problems than bringing any healing. Because of our arrogance. Of thinking we've got it all together. Let us make ourselves available. Let us walk in humility. You know, the scripture says that humility is what brings us unity. It's Christ-like humility that brings unity. That's what Philippians 2 talks all about, is the kind of humility that we need to have to really work together. But when we're in organizations, we think it's bylaws, it's these doctrines, all these kinds of things that we tend to write out, all of these lists that no one ever looks at, and we say, these things are going to bring unity, when really it's Christ-like humility that I can say, we can see things differently. You may be post-millennial, I may be amillennial, you may be a Calvinist, I may be an Arminian, but the question is, do we love Jesus? And can we see things differently and still follow Christ together? Well, absolutely we can. Now there are some essentials we need to believe, and that's what brings the Christ-like humility. The essential things of his life and his forgiveness and how he wants us to be Filled with his spirit and trust him and believe in him and look to him in every way and in everyday life. That's what we need. What else do we need? What what else is important about getting out of the fold and into the fields? Well, one of the biggest pieces of importance, I think, is that in the fields there are new laborers. And if we're unwilling to go out into the fields, we're unwilling to reproduce the laborers of our future. For example, Luke 10, 2, where Jesus says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to do what? Send out laborers into the harvest field because we need more leaders and laborers in the fields. And then he says, now go. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. So he's saying the future leaders are in the harvest field. And if we're unwilling to go and to share then we're robbing ourselves of the very leaders that are going to continue to reproduce the legacy of Christ's life by making more disciples who make disciples. And So he says, send them out, go. And then you say, why in the world would he send us out like sheep or lambs among wolves? Because he wants to use us to find those lost sheep. And no one knows how to find and eat lost sheep like a wolf. And so he sends us out in places of risk, but does he, does he promise to guide us and lead us? Absolutely. And when we're out among wolves, when we're out in those places of risk and difficulty, what does that bring inside our hearts and lives? It brings us to this place where we say, oh, dear God, help. Help me. How long has it been since you've been in a situation where you had to say, dear God, help me? I hope it's daily. I hope it's daily. But sometimes we get in this fold mentality where everything is safe and comfortable and we don't ever take risks. And therefore, once again, we've lost our intimate connection with our shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me to what? To still waters. Though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? Fear no evil. Because he is with me. A lot of it truly is, guys, is that we're really afraid to take any risks. But if we want to walk on water, we've got to be willing to get out of the boat. And he promises to be with us. And he promises to use us. Are things going to be easy? No. We love that chapter in the Hall of Faith about all the men and women of previous generations. And we love to talk about conquering cities and... Whooping lions and bears and giants. But we don't talk about the second half. that talks about the suffering and the pain and the difficulty of those who did not get to see the promise. Those who did not get to conquer but they faithfully trusted God in the midst of it. And so the question is, am I willing to trust him and make myself available to him? Will I do the right things for the right reasons no matter the results? I have several friends who have been incredible examples to me. One of my friends is, is an Anglo guy named Trey Nine. And he's almost like a grandfather of hip-hop, Christian hip-hop here in our area. And that guy has faithfully gone into the jails and prisons over many years. And has committed, rather than doing entertainment, he has committed to do like what we're talking about. Enter into fields and make disciples. And as a result of that, today we're seeing the gospel spread in many of the neighborhoods where many of these men, these ex-cons were tearing down and destroying these neighborhoods. We're seeing God use these men to go back in and proclaim the gospel using hip-hop, using simple reproducible methods of discipleship and storing to transform our city and the neighborhoods here in our city. And this is This is an average guy that God is using in an amazing way because he's willing to make himself available. And in the last year, we've seen seen a friend of ours whom I mentor and work with as well named Pyrex, who was an underground rapper. And the guy has an unbelievable following. He has a gang that follows him. He came to Christ and started saying, follow me as I follow Christ. And God is using him in amazing ways to share the gospel in places you and I could never go. So, it's ordinary people doing extraordinary things. God wants to use different people of different backgrounds, but it's about us making ourselves available to Him. Being willing, yeah, it's good to be in the fold, but we need to be willing to go into the fold and then follow Him out into the fields to support one another, to encourage one another, to pray for one another. And the network that I lead, we need a strong covering of prayer because we're sending people into dangerous places over and over and over again. But we also need people to be praying for us because again, the daily grind makes us blind. And I think we forget that every day, wherever we go to work, when we're at home with our neighbors, God wants to use us in those places too. And so we forget and we get blinded to the reality of God wanting to use us wherever we are and the need for you and I to say, God, here I am. I make myself available to you. And I think that's the challenge this morning. Am I willing to say, here I am, God? Use me? Am I willing to say, Lord, I make myself available to you? And what are the ways that you can cooperate together to send people into the fields? There are tools and passions that God wants to use in this room to make a difference outside here. Like I said, I'm not a hip-hop guy. I was raised on country and southern rock and roll. But God has used me among many hip-hop artists. I'm not a soccer guy. As a matter of fact, I used to make fun of soccer players whenever I was a young man. But God has allowed me to partner with soccer from here all the way to Ethiopia where we've seen a soccer ball make a difference all over the world where we've trained up soccer evangelists where they'll go into a village, throw down a ball, start playing with the kids and then start sharing their story and his story. And we're seeing entire Muslim villages transformed. One of the most powerful experiences I had three years ago was going down by the border of Somalia where I often never get to speak to a crowd because I'm going underground meeting with leaders all the way from Addis Ababa all the way down to the northern Kenya and Somali border. But one place I got to stop and speak to an entire village because two mosques were shut down because the entire place turned to Jesus Christ and turned to following him and believing he is the way to Allah. He is the way to the true God. And I was able to address them. And it was an incredible experience to me. Many people have been praying for Somalis for decades and hundreds of years. And now we're seeing many of them come to Christ. If you've ever seen Captain Phillips or Black Hawk Down, you know how hard Somali people can be. And we're seeing that hardness being broken by the love and the purpose and the meaning and the mission of knowing Jesus Christ so will we make ourselves available? Have you shared your story with your family and friends who are far from God? Will you be willing to go to a place just to socialize and engage people? Maybe it's to a gym. Maybe it's to a coffee house. Maybe it's to a restaurant that you need to frequent over and over again. Asking the waiters and waitresses, can you pray for them as you pray for your meal? Begin to engage them about the good news of Jesus Christ. Let us get out of the fold and into the fields. My heart's desire is to see facilities all over this city and all over the nation become true equipping centers like the Hall of Tyrannus where all of Asia heard the gospel because people were trained there in that hall and sent out into the fields all around Asia and they heard the good news about Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for an opportunity to share with you this morning. I encourage you to pray with me I'm just going to give you a moment of silence to pray in your heart and to say, God, I am available. Use me. Send me as I'm going in my everyday life. Show me people that need to hear about your love and your good news. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to share this morning. And I I do ask you to use me and to use us. It's not about really any individual, though I need to individually respond and take responsibility, but I need to be a part of a team, a part of a unit, a part of a body that is sharing your love and your life with others. So thank you so much for this opportunity to share. We love you. Let us respond to however he's speaking in our heart with obedience this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.